She's here to talk about one of the most horrific incidents any parent can imagine, the death of her son by suicide, the impacts on her, her family, and how she uses her pain and experience to help others. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Another reason to like and follow us on Facebook, the mobile Facebook app. You can listen to the podcast there for free. So if you ever miss an episode of Law Enforcement Today Show, it's always on the mobile Facebook app. You know the one on your phone, which is free. It's easy to access the podcast and great articles, much more. By the way, feel free to send me a message. Say hello. If I can help you, let me know. That's on our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. Calling us from Florida, we have Melissa Botorf Airy on the phone. Melissa, I met in the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, by the way. Great free social audio platform. You can look for me, John, my initial J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y-R, at L-E-T Radio Show. Melissa is a grief coach. She's also an author. She's a podcaster, host of the Leftover Pieces podcast. And you'll understand why it's named that in just a moment. First, Melissa, thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Show. Very much appreciated. John, thanks for having me. It's been difficult. It's a very, very difficult conversation to have. And I, I say this all the time. Some of my guests are, are easy. Others, the topics are, there's there's no way of sugarcoating it. And this is one of them. This is just horrendous. And we've been working on make this happen for what, six months? Oh, at least. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm glad you are finally able to talk about it. We're here to talk about the death by suicide of your 21-year-old son, Alex, and the impact it had on you, your family, and what you've done afterwards. There's a lot of inspiration in this story. There's a lot of hardship, a lot of grief. Uh, but grief is a funny thing. That's uh, We handle it differently. And I handle things differently now that I did 20 years ago. My father died, you know, 23 some odd years ago. So there's no one way of handling grief. Before we get into the conversation, Melissa, you're in Florida now. And you kind of dedicate your life to helping other people going through this process. Yep. So, yeah, as you um, said, about well, five and a half years ago, um, I lost my son, Alex, who was 21 at college, to suicide. He died by suicide on August 7th of 2016. And now I have a podcast called The Leftover Pieces, Suicide Loss Conversations. And that's what I do. I have hard conversations with other uh, lost survivors and sometimes people that are just in the adjacent space to suicide loss, you know, experts and, and of the such, but um, all around the suicide loss space um, for the idea of bringing, you know, attention to the mental health and wellness of all of us and destigmatizing not only suicide and suicide loss, but grief in itself. 
and what motivated yeah. you to do this is your own loss. And there's there's no really comfortable way of talking about this. And I'll be honest with you, Melissa, I don't know of anyone that's not been affected by suicide, whether it be direct family members or extended family members, but everyone I know has been affected. Yeah, it's it's definitely, it's something that I would say probably even, well, probably even five years ago before we lost Alex, but definitely a decade ago, you probably couldn't have said that. It's the last five years have, we've seen a steady increase for sure, the last decade, absolutely. And the statistics aren't out yet for the pandemic. So I'm pretty sure we're going to see a secondary pandemic of uh, suicide loss was built there, inside of the pandemic. Was there anything on your radar to let you know that this was even a possibility with your son? Um, that's a... Like a lot of things with suicide, it's a complicated answer. The initial, the initial reaction, and definitely a handful of years ago, would have been no. There was really nothing on our radar. Alex did not have a history of uh, mental health issues. He hadn't been treated for depression or anything of the sorts. Um, he was a college student. He was at a rigorous academic college. He was in a fraternity. Um, he had, you know, a de- he had been um, an athlete in high school and graduated with an advanced diploma, and so was was doing all the things. And his last semester, uh, the spring semester before uh, he died, he was struggling a bit. He let me know. Um, we talked about it. He had had a girlfriend, a serious girlfriend, the year before. He was in the fraternity, so got a little bit behind the eight ball in his grades because, you know, too much fun sometimes. And he was in leadership with a fraternity as well. So he had a lot on his plate. He was working and doing all the things. And I always just look at it as I felt like he had life just kind of catching up with him at 21 years old. He was had a lot going on and had a, had a lot happen and was getting overwhelmed. And that's quite a transitional age to be at. And so even though we knew he was struggling a bit and he had said he you know, had gone to the student counseling center and had seen someone a few times, he indicated that he was, you know, it was under control. There was no imminent um, threats or anything. It, there was nothing to indicate it was of that level. And then Johnny came home that summer and he, he typically, um, he had moved away to college and basically moved out of the house at that point. He moved and lived there full time worked there in the summer. It was a college a couple hours from home. And that summer, his business uh, that he worked at was closing. So he went ahead and came home for five weeks. And so I had the opportunity to spend, he was in my house staying with me and had that time to spend with him and kind of, you know, put the mom eye on him and feel like he really was okay. Because regardless of whether you'd had any history of mental health issues, when your kid's struggling and seeing a counselor and, you know, going through stuff, you're just on top of it, you're aware of it as a mom, and there wasn't anything to indicate um, that there was any reason to worry. He, he actually seemed really good when he was home, and we talked right before he went back. So and, all the, the things we're, spoke, we're taught to look for, the, the yeah. typical red flags, they really weren't there. No, all of the things that we're taught to look for, like, you know, are they isolating? Are they not forward-thinking? Are they... Uh, talking in defeatist ways, you know, there's all these things that you are supposed to look for if somebody, um, to show that they, they might be suicidal, and those are all legitimate things. Um, definitely people do show the signs of those. Alex was not. Um, when he left to go back to college, 
um, eight days before we found out he was gone, it was me and him, and we were packing his car, and he was in a great mood, and Mom started to cry, and he said, why are you crying, Mom? And I said, well, because I've had you here for five weeks, and I'm kind of used to seeing you, you know, just the Mom thing. And he kind of laughed and said, I'll be home in two weeks, Mom. I'm coming to, back to see my friend. And there, so by all indications, there was absolutely the opposite of that going on. And this is the thing that I think a lot of people, I'm a, I'm a parent too. My, my daughters are in their 30s now. So that means I'm a geezer, but you always worry. I mean, as a parent, always worry, especially when you're teenagers, you're going through the so-called, and I'm air quoting the angst years and all that stuff. And there's things you look for. And when you don't see those signs, it's like, oh, I can breathe a sigh of relief. Everything's going okay. I don't have to worry. There's always something to worry about. Right. But that doesn't mean that the worst case scenario can't happen. Absolutely. And as we came to find out, um, because, you know, and and now that's why I say, you know, looking back initially, I would have said, no, there was nothing. But in hindsight, you know, I know more now and I know that there there probably were things to worry about. And, you know, not the smallest of which was he was going back to a situation that when he left wasn't great with some of his, um, you know, fraternity people. Let's take a short break. We are talking with Melissa Botorf Airy on the Law Enforcement Today show talking about a really tough topic, suicide death of her son, Alex. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today Podcast Network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. Dot com. a conversation with Melissa Botorf Airy on the Law Enforcement Today show. Melissa's son Alex died by suicide at the age of 21 while in college. She's courageously talking about it, uh, which I don't know I could do, Melissa. Uh, and you, by the way, I'll give you a little compliment. You are doing this in an exceptionally powerful manner where I'd be broken down. Even all these years, it's things I still can't talk about and not get emotional. Uh, so if you do, I, I understand it. Uh, Melissa is also a podcaster. She's a certified master grief coach. The name of her podcast is The Leftover Pieces Podcast. She's an author. Website is theleftoverpieces.com. Before the break, we're talking about, you didn't see the classic red flag signs that there was a problem. Uh, in hindsight, you look back and say, oh, maybe this, maybe that. I understand. Hindsight's twenty twenty, And we all do the best we can. None of us are Superman, Superwoman. We're not God. Whatever it might be. We, we can't, and I hate this, we can't protect those closest to us all the time, even though we want to. Correct. And unfortunately, that's what happened with you. Your, your son was at home. They went back to college. Life was going well. Things are going great. I'll see you in a couple of weeks, Mom. And then you got some tragic news. Yeah. 
We did. Um, and his college was two and a half hours away from where we were in Kansas City. So it was when he was found, the the chain of, of information would have been obviously for the, the police in that town to, to then notify the police in our town and then come to us. And that isn't the way it happened with us because of a college environment, I would guess, Several of the people closest to Alex became worried that we would find out via social media before we were notified. And my youngest son, which is a couple years uh, younger than Alex, who was still, um, had just graduated from high school, so he was in between, he was about to go to college, was actually, it was a Sunday um, just afternoon, and he was headed to rock climb with a few friends and got a phone call. And it was Alex's best friend at college uh, letting him know what had happened. And he was about a mile from the house, and he said he doesn't really recall exactly how long he sat in the parking lot of an, of an old Kmart, but then he turned around and doesn't remember the drive home, but ended up in my uh, bedroom where I had been chatting with my husband who was cleaning the bathroom, and I was doing some things. And I had actually sat back down just a few minutes before and told him I wasn't sure what was wrong, but that something... He said, are you sick? And I said, no, I just don't, I don't feel right was a word that I used. And a few minutes later, Parker walked through the room and um, he stood there and I could just tell when, you know, when something's wrong with your kid. And I immediately said, did you get in an accident? Which he obviously looked fine, but the look on his face was something I had never seen. And I came around to him and he looked me in the eyes and said, mom, Alex is dead. Yeah, I don't remember a whole lot after that, but that was how um, we found out. And to this day, that that's a very painful part for me as a mom. Yeah, that that, that my youngest son had to be the one to to tell me because that, that has to be that, an extra burden for him. That's a horrible thing. It's one of the things that we were trained to do, and there's no easy way of doing it. And look, I got phone calls uh, called the dispatcher at two o'clock in the morning, and. They say, you have to go to this house, this address, locate so-and-so. And if you find them, tell them their son died in a car accident or whatever it might be. We did those notifications face-to-face whenever possible. And there's really no easy way of doing it. And the, the reactions you get from people is is the whole range of emotions. And at 21, 22, it's horrifying. When I think back, I had to do that. But I can't imagine your teenage son having to bear that burden of responsibility of telling you. I know. Me too. Um, you know, in the, in the moment, of course, I was just in shock. And, and then, but now, in um, you know, the retrospect, it's been something that, you know, him and I have talked about it, obviously. It's not something we haven't spoken about, but it's it's one of the additional layers of heartache that, that I still bear that he had to be the one to do that. And I've got goosebumps when you tell me that, that he's the one who had to tell you. Um, and, and when you talk to him, please tell him I said thank you. I know that's an incomplete statement it doesn't really signify what i feel and i don't know him i don't know alex but i can begin to imagine as a parent what he had to go through and as as a retired police officer what he had to go through because that's just horrifying yeah all right let's take a deep breath here for a second because uh the goosebumps and me getting emotional remembering uh, i i was on scene for many many deaths that were suicides and there's no explaining it. There's no rational way of 
putting it in its proper place. I, look, sometimes I try my best just to shove it in the back of the file cabinet of my brain and never deal with it again. But you obviously had no choice. You found out your son had died by suicide. And at that point, to be honest, I, I know people want to make a big deal out of death by suicide or was it an accident or was it illness or was it, the person's still gone and they're still right. lost and a huge part of your family. And that never goes away. Absolutely. One of the things I say is my father died of cancer. I look back now, I think it's 28 years ago. There's an old saying, time heals all wounds. I don't believe that's true anymore. Uh, I just know I, I handle it differently. I get more used to it. But the ache is still there. Yeah, I lost my dad 22 years ago. He was uh, the ripe old age of 48 when I lost him to cancer. And I kind of thought I knew grief. I had lost him and you know, at a very young age. I thought he'd be around for great-grandkids, let alone you know just grandkids. And he... Uh, was gone and diagnosed and gone within four months, like I said, at the age of 48. And, and, um, he was, I was very, very close to him, but that doesn't even live in the same wheelhouse as this. Um, so I didn't, didn't exactly know all grief, you know, it is all different. And there's nothing to prepare you for this. So the impact had to be, and I almost say, I don't say had as in past tense, because I'm sure there's grades of, Hey, I still got to get along, but the impact had to have been just un- unexplainable. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I'll just remove the suicide because for the sake of, of losing a child, um, it's it's like you said, it's a death. He, he died. So removing the complication, you know, that was suicide, I, I lost my child and there's nothing that prepares a parent for that. We, we prepare for a lot of things in life, and we know we'll face a lot of things, but that one's not. We just choose to put that one off to say that won't happen. We'll go before they go. That's exactly the way I look at things. The natural life progression is, and this is how selfish I am. I'm a few years older than my wife. I want to go before her, I, and, and I don't want to be without her. But the thought of having one of my daughters die before me I think every parent has got to have that as a fear somewhere deep down inside. And how the ones that have gone through deaths of their children, whether it be by disease, accident, violent crime, suicide, doesn't matter the manner, the impact has just got to be beyond words. We're talking with Melissa Botorf Airy. She is a certified master grief coach she's a host of leftover pieces podcast and also an author her website is the leftoverpieces.com we're going to take a short break we return we're going to talk about the impact that this trauma had on her and what she did to build her life afterwards this is law enforcement Day show don't go anywhere we'll be right back have you ever wanted to listen to a favorite law enforcement today episode again or chat directly with john j wiley now you can Download Podopolo for free on either app store and send John J. Wiley a DM right on the app. That's P-O-D-O-P-O-L-O, Podopolo. Return our conversation with Melissa Botorf Airy, calling us from Orlando, Florida area, Central Florida area. She is a certified master grief coach. She's author. She's a host of the Leftover Pieces podcast. The website is theleftoverpieces.com. I met Melissa quite a while ago on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, which is free. 
get it. It's a, an awesome program. Uh, look for me. Follow me. My name's John, middle initial J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, or search for at L-E-T radio show. And we talked quite a while ago about her coming on the show to talk about her story. Long story short, her 21-year-old son, Alex, was in college. He died by suicide. Before we the break, we started talking about the impact on you. And I know there's stages. So when you found out, talk about what you went through for uh, the next couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. So the first couple of years, especially the first year, you really are just in shock, John, and you really do the best that you can. I've, I've always been... Um, someone who pulls everything together and takes charge and all that. So on the exterior, I was doing, going through the motions and, and appearing to be mostly okay to people that didn't, didn't know. Um, I was absolutely not okay. Um, I was surviving and that's what I thought I was going to do was figure out how to survive this. And, and it honestly took a couple of years and we made some major life changes because everything looked different. We were wearing lenses that we never imagined we would have. And so everything looked different through them. And in the course of those decisions, um, decided to sell our home and everything in it and the businesses. And my husband and I traveled for a few years. And so, you know, kind of fast forward to about four years. And so about a year and a half ago, I had made the decision that I was going to follow my heart and try to, help others pick up the pieces because that's what it, I had been doing for four years. I had kind of stripped everything down to the point that I just, I, I tell people I was metaphorically sitting among all of these pieces of my life and my heart and had to figure out what now. And it was hard and I didn't find a lot of the resources I wished I could have. And I couldn't connect with the right podcaster. I found some wonderful people in the grief and loss space, but nobody in the suicide loss space who had lost a child. And I kind of just one day said, maybe I'll create what I can't find. And that's kind of where the idea for the podcast and then eventually the communities and things that I'm building now came from is wanting to be able to literally help other people pick up the pieces. And when you talk about it now, it, it sounds as if you have of clearly defined mission. And I'm a firm believer and no one can help like people who've been through similar circumstances. There are people who really want to help. And I'm, and I'm not saying they're negative. They're therapists, they're counselors, there's psychologists, whatever you want, that have read about these things in books. And, and I appreciate their efforts, but if they haven't gone through it, they don't know. And no one can help someone out of a dark hole like someone who's been in that dark hole. Correct. And and actually, the power of that came to me the first time I locked eyes with another mom who had lost her child to suicide. And it was kind of the power in that moment that I realized there was absolutely nothing like somebody who's been there is walking the same journey on some level that you are and what they bring to the table. And you know, at one point I looked for therapy. I, I, I know I fast forwarded to four years, but there was obviously a lot that went on in that four years. And that was, there's, there's still a lot that goes on. This isn't, this isn't easy by, by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, I made a choice at some point to stand up and, and do the work. And it's, um, it's it's not the same to try to find a therapist. I, my, I, actually, when I went looking, my qualifications were they have to have lost a child and or lost somebody to suicide, and I couldn't find anyone. 
Yeah. And so, yeah, it's it's there's something to be said for school hard knocks, unfortunately. And I'm sure there's certain things you heard. And my circumstances are drastically different. I don't want to compare the two and say they're equal. Uh, how about this one? Did you hear, hey, try not to be so angry? <laughs> yeah, heard lots of things. How about how about you still have two other children? And how That's do you reply to that? What what what's, what do people say? I mean, I know how I'd reply. It would be brutally offensive, and I'd be all over the headlines of, can you believe what this guy said? Yeah, the thing uh, you just you become uh, it take the first, after, the, after the first few times and it takes your breath away and you possibly respond out of emotion. You do learn to take those things in and understand that they're they're literally coming from genuine ignorance and that's actually a good thing in this situation. So I try to take the high road and and use the situation to educate people the the best I can and. But I also don't let them, you know, you, you can't let people get away with behaving badly. You do have to sometimes say, you know, this is this would be a better thing to say, or let me explain why. You're a lot nicer about it than I am, Melissa. I'll tell you right now, because <laughs> I'm a firm believer, and it's taken me a long time to get to this point, but people know exactly how, how they're behaving. And I know that people have good intentions. However, the road do you know where is paved with good intentions. So yeah. when people act in a way that is totally unacceptable, I've gotten, my wife is like, now just relax, put the muzzle on, you don't have to respond. And I'm like, oh yeah, and another thing. And and I just unload on them. And I'm trying not to be that guy. Well, it's, it's, sometimes it's easier said than done, but you know, I something unique happened along with many other things uh, when I lost Alex, but I've become an extremely empathetic person so a lot of times I'm able to to see it from the fact that you know maybe they're just coming from a place of clearly just not understanding and you know like I said that's unfortunately a good thing for them that they don't understand so but I you know I'm not going to pretend like I haven't ever <laughs> said something not nice to somebody oh, yeah. who was extremely rude did you find that people that were friends and relatives were so afraid saying the wrong thing that they just abandoned you wouldn't talk to you yeah that's a huge thing that's one of the reasons that grievers need other grievers and they need a community and they need people that understand because there's a definite um, I call it a reorganization of your uh, life and social structure and uh, you don't keep all your friends and you don't keep all the people and some of the ones you do you have to learn to to put in a, uh, a different place in your life because this is not something everybody can handle, John. It just isn't. Some people, as much as you want them to, don't have the wheelhouse for it. And it's really sad that, you know, but I, I actually have experienced many, many people who just literally kind of disappeared out of my life. And I decided that it was because I represent the very worst thing they could possibly ever imagine as a parent. And so if they don't have to deal with me, they kind of don't have to face that possibility. I had a good friend. She's still a very good friend. And uh, her her husband worked for me. I was a sergeant. He was a police officer in my squad. I wound up transferring to another district. And a couple months later, he wound up being shot and killed and in the line of duty. And one of the things that happened, Melissa, was every time I'd see her and talk to her, I was so afraid of saying and doing the wrong thing that I would be, and I say this with full understanding of the term, 
I was a coward. I would rather crawl through a wall or do anything other than be in front of her and talk to her. I wouldn't talk to her at all about fishing, about anything, because I was scared to death. And what she said to me, and I had her, her name's Kim. I had her on an episode of the show earlier. She said, you can't make things worse. The worst has already happened. Talk to me about football. Talk to me about racing. Talk to me about fishing. Talk about anything. And if I need to talk to you about Will, or Billy, as his name was, I will talk to you about him. And if I don't want to talk about him, I'll let you know I don't want to talk about him, and I'm not comfortable talking about him. Right. And I think that's what yeah. we need to do is is start treating people the way we are. Yes, the worst happened. The unimaginable happened to you, your family, your son, your your other son. And you're here to talk about it. This is the Law Enforcement Day show. We are talking about Melissa Botorf Airy. She is the host of Leftover Pieces podcast. She's also an author, a certified master grief coach. Her website is at leftoverpieces.com. You're talking about the death by suicide of her 21-year-old son, Alex. So, so much more to talk about. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. Conversation with Melissa Botorf Airy on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Melissa is a certified master grief coach she's author podcaster host of the leftover pieces podcast the website is a leftoverpieces.com her 21 year old son alex died by suicide in college in 2016 uh and i appreciate you so much talking about this stuff we met on the clubhouse drop-in audio chat app and it's taken quite a long time to get this to happen one of the there's so many questions i have and i'm walking on eggshells because it's such a tough topic but quite often i hear couples have been married for you know any kind of period of time and they go through the death of a child and doesn't matter the cause and it oftentimes destroys a relationship you mentioned earlier you and your husband moved you sold the house you traveled you did other things i i gotta tell you my hat's off to you that you're still successfully married well first of all Again, just thanks for for being willing to have this hard conversation. Everybody is not willing to do that. So I appreciate that fact and don't want to miss saying that again, John. But you're right. Um, Lots of relationships like we were talking about before are, are difficult and redefined and some are lost and some are gained. But to bring up the primary relationship, marriage, um, I am extremely fortunate. Um, I want to preface it by saying my husband is not my children's father. So I think for us, um, and that can be a good and a bad. I've had uh, talked to many grievers who've lost children who that actually was a detriment because the person had no, my, my husband never had biological children. So, and he didn't raise mine. He came on the, the scene when, when my youngest was in high school, just the last couple of years. And, you know, I, I have the good fortune of this being someone I know very well. He was an extremely serious, almost husband 20 plus years ago in college. And then we parted ways and had a life and then came back together now almost a decade ago. But 
So he's, you know, he's the love of my life, came around full circle, but he did not raise my kids. And that could have been a detriment to us. And for whatever reason, he's just an amazing human. And I could never have imagined somebody weathering this with somebody the way he's weathered it with me. So thankfully, I have a very good experience where that's concerned. I'm not sure where I would be without him as the rock he's been. But I know it's extremely not the uh, that same way with everybody. You're right. It's a, a very difficult thing to weather this loss anyway, and everybody does it so individually that for two people that have lost the, their, their child, if it was both of their child, it, it's very complicated, and it does cause a lot of um, issues. I appreciate you saying the things about him that you have. You need to give yourself a little credit as well because – I'm sure there are many times you want to say, look, I'm packing up and I'm leaving. I'm just, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, well, I I tried to give him a pass for sure for a few years because I said, this isn't what you signed up for. You signed up for for, for us to have our sunny years together and to to do, you know, the fun things. And this is far from that. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it would be easier to, to not do it, to be, you know, complicated uh, things are hard. And so, yeah, it's, there's also no escaping this. There's an old saying Correct. that a friend of mine used to have. Look, if you put a meatball on a bus and you take him from Baltimore to San Diego, when he gets off the bus, he's still the meatball. Uh, you can change your location. You're still going to deal with things you've got going on. And you have a you got a heavy hand here. It's, there's no denying that. You know, I get staged in my life where I, I think to myself, man, I just want to be in Ireland. I don't want to be here anymore. I want to escape this part of my life. I want to escape this. I want to go somewhere where it's calm and peaceful and I don't have to think about these things. And yes, I call that wanderlust. Yes, I would love, there's an old show on television, a new heart show where they live somewhere in Vermont and nothing bad Mm -hmm. ever happened there. I said, I want to go there. That's where I want to live. But that doesn't happen in reality because I take me wherever I go. Yep. And you take you and this horrible hand you and your family have been dealt wherever you go. So you're left with a couple of choices. How do I build a life afterwards? Not the life you want, because this isn't what you planned on. Uh, not a better life. It's how do I build a life in spite of? Right. How do I build a new life? Um, the one I didn't plan on, the one I never wanted, right? And that's, that's what we say a lot. You have to learn to embrace the life that you never wanted. And you have choices, you know, you, that's the first step, but then you have, then you are able to get to a place where, I mean, you can embrace the life that you have. It doesn't mean you wouldn't change it if you could, but we aren't given that option. Right. So. And there's no do-overs. There's no, you know, hindsight. We said earlier, it's 2020. If I'd only known I'd have done this. Right. Uh, and uh, that brings up a good question. Do you have any survivor's guilt? I should have, could have, would have. I, a little bit, but only because I'm his mother. And I say that meaning I'm, I'm just going to guess that most of the mothers that would be listening would understand. And as a parent, you understand parents' guilt, right? So I, I feel Alex knew how much I loved him. He had a million people in his life that loved him. He was very well supported. I don't feel, you know... In the darkest of moments, you go through the, if I hadn't done this and if I hadn't done that, going all the way back to, you know, their childhood. But that's just, that's just grief. In all reality, knowing what I know and everything, I really feel like there's 
nothing different I could have done. And reality, there really isn't. Because none of us, like you said earlier, we're not Superman, we're not Superwoman, we're not God. We, we can't solve all the world's problems. And, and the harsh reality is, I can't always protect those that I love the most. We try. We do the best we can. That's all there is. So having taken this horrible incident you've been through, and you're still going through, you take these experiences and you're reaching out trying to help others in a way that only those who've been there can. Uh, we talked earlier, before the interview, I had uh, Lindsay Doolittle on his show. Lindsay's mm-hmm. husband was a, a Kansas City police sergeant who died by suicide. I've had several guests on whose spouses died by suicide. I and, happen to know Lindsay very well. She's an amazing woman. And here's the thing. they they, And you have this way, too, of talking that it's almost unsettling that I get where it's coming from, but a lot of people may not. But I think the people who have been through this will really benefit from your experience. Is that your mindset? It absolutely is my mindset. Um, I want others to be able to get where I am now sooner Maybe I feel like I put myself through a lot of stuff early on that if I had had the right tools and support, if I had been in touch with a community of other grievers that understood and I wasn't trying to just muddle through it myself, um, I I would have seen things differently and maybe grown a little better, (laughs) quicker. Um, And so, yeah, that's, that's the goal is to be able to Reach out. And, and I'll be honest with you, I would be 100% lying if I didn't say when I started the podcast and all of this on some level, it was as selfish as it was selfless because there's a part of me that was is, is still looking for how I continue to heal in this journey and how it's, you know, and so I was looking to have hard conversations, but I'm also looking for answers. So that's, that's the candid part of this is that it, it's not... There's no way to be honest and say it's completely selfless because I'm I'm still looking for the right answer to make me feel 100% okay. And I won't. I'll never feel 100% no. okay. That's not going to happen. The ultimate relief for me from my bondage of self is to help other people and to turn my thoughts Correct. to helping other people. And you do that with your podcast. It's called The Leftover Pieces Podcast. Great name, very fitting name, but... It's obviously not a show for everyone. Correct. Hopefully not. And where can people find it? How can they consume it? And you also have a website as well. Yeah. And actually, you know, they can find me on all the major platforms for for podcasts. And it's the leftover pieces, semicolon, the suicide loss conversations is the whole podcast name. And Everything can be found at theleftoverpieces.com. They can find the podcast there. They can find the books that are out and more will be coming out. They can find the community of support for parents and lots and lots of resources um, on the resource page. So if they land there and they're not a parent, but they've lost someone to suicide, there's an entire resources section for them. So, And that's theleftoverpieces.com. Melissa, thank you for Coming to your show, telling your story, very much appreciated, and appreciate all that you do to help others. Thanks so much. Thank you, John. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. 
tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.